0: everyone, and welcome to Functional Fertility, the podcast designed to demystify your hormones, up-level your lifestyle, and
1: supercharge your fertility potential. The amazing thing about exercise is that it can improve insulin sensitivity for up to 16 hours post just a single bout of exercise, which is incredible, right? Again, we want to think about setting a woman up for success in her pregnancy. And we're thinking about insulin sensitivity, blood sugar regulation, hopefully preventing gestational diabetes as well.
0: I'm your host, Dr. Kalia Waddles. And today we're talking about mindful movement as we prepare for pregnancy and postpartum. This is a fun topic, so it's only fitting that we have a super fun guest. Let me introduce you to my treasured friend and colleague, Samantha Mins. Samantha is a certified nutrition specialist and certified pre- and postnatal coach. Sam currently teaches Zumba and Pilates class weekly, can confirm, it's super fun. She worked as a personal trainer for over 10 years and received continuing education in fitness, nutrition, pre- and postnatal fitness, and exercise progression for individuals of all fitness levels. Sam's passion is in educating others on the power of both food and movement to help them feel their absolute best. I've really been looking forward to this.
1: Welcome to the show, Sam. Thank you so much for having me. This is, oh my gosh, such a treat. So thank you for having me. Well, one of my favorite things about podcasting
0: is I get to learn from people who know way more about topics than I do. And I absolutely understand how exercise is important, but this is a real area where I feel like I don't have a lot of expertise. So I'm so excited to pick your brain and hear all of your insights and all of these clinical pearls we can share with our audience. So, so happy to spend this time with you, Sam. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Let's kind of dive right into it because you and I talk a lot about modifiable lifestyle behaviors. That's really the foundation of our functional medicine model. And you and I talk about that so much. Exercise has benefits across multiple body systems. And I think when we look at how we make sustainable behavior change, we know that really connecting and anchoring into the why can be the game changer in helping us to move those behavior changes forward. So can you kind of give us a little bit of an intro about how regularly moving our body can be beneficial to us as we prepare for pregnancy.
1: Absolutely. So whenever I get this question, I like to ask people, how much time do you have? Because I could talk about the benefits of exercise for days, Um, but I really love to speak to them in the context of the functional medicine matrix. So we know exercise is on the bottom of the matrix, those foundational modifiable lifestyle factors like diet, sleep, stress, relationships, exercise. Um, But I love to speak to how exercise impacts each of the clinical nodes of the matrix as well. Yes. So I love to start at the cellular organelle level with our mitochondria, right? I know you talk a lot about loving on your mitochondria. mitochondria. Yes, they're so important, right? And I think they're they're just not thought of very often. Um, but we know that exercise is a powerful activator of PGC one alpha, which is kind of the master regulator of mitochondrial biogenesis. So what does that mean? When we exercise, we increase PGC 1-alpha, which then leads to the production of more high-quality, more efficient mitochondria, and ultimately better energy production throughout our entire bodies. On the flip side, if we're sedentary, if we're not moving at all, which we were designed to move, right? So that sedentary behavior is not what our bodies are looking for. Uh, We tend to see a down regulation of that PGC one alpha, and then we're creating more kind of broken or fragmented mitochondria. And ultimately our energy production is going to take a hit. Um, And when we're thinking about fertility, energy production is so vital, right? Because if we're not able to sustain the energy that it takes to digest our food or just maintain our metabolism or to ovulate, for example, fertility and reproduction is likely going to be on the back burner in terms of priorities for our body, right? In terms of where that energy is going. So if we can start with optimizing our mitochondrial health, that's going to be a great first step to to optimize our fertility and our ability to reproduce. We also like to look at um, transport, talking about the cardiovascular system, right? We talk a lot about how blood flow is so vital to making sure that our ovaries and our egg cells are nice and nourished and high quality. And what better way to get the heart pumping and to get the blood flowing than to do some exercise, right? It's so fun. Um, We also know regular exercise helps to maintain healthy blood pressure levels. And so I like to think about if a woman especially is is just kind of in that preconception stage and thinking about getting pregnant, setting her up for success throughout her pregnancy. So we know there's, you know, comorbidities like um, preeclampsia and things like that, that pose a great risk to mom and baby during pregnancy. And so if we can have her blood pressure and her cardiovascular health at a healthy level, Um, before she even gets pregnant, it's going to kind of maintain throughout that pregnancy as well. I love to also talk about biotransformation and elimination. Again, what better way to sweat than to get a good workout, right? We know we can sit in a sauna, which is marvelous, um, but exercise is just another great way to help support those detoxification pathways within the body. And exercise also benefits the lymphatic system, which we know is huge in terms of ridding the body of those toxic waste products that we don't need to have anymore. Um, In terms of communication, so thinking about hormones, the amazing thing about exercise is that it can improve insulin sensitivity for up to 16 hours post just a single bout of exercise, which is incredible, right? Again, we wanna think about setting a woman up for success in her pregnancy And we're thinking about insulin sensitivity, blood sugar regulation, hopefully preventing gestational diabetes as well. Just making sure she's got nice stable blood sugar, good insulin sensitivity throughout her pregnancy. Assimilation, one of my favorites talking about gut health, right? Um, Exercise is very powerful for our gut microbiome as well. Not only can it improve the diversity, of our microflora, it can also increase the amount of beneficial and commensal bacteria within the gut microbiome. Now we know that many of our neurotransmitters are produced within the gut. We know that the majority of our immune system is within our gut. So those things are going to benefit as well if we're thinking about our gut health And then we also know that exercise improves vagal tone. So strengthening that gut brain connection, Um, talking a lot about mental health, you know, we see higher rates of, you know, postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, and even, you know, anxiety and depression during pregnancy. So again, if we can set that mama up for success even beforehand, then we can continue to, um, to have these habits throughout her pregnancy as well and have those positive outcomes then speaking of the immune system, we know that exercise also boosts our immune health. It improves the circulation of our immune cells within our body. And it's kind of like, I like to think of it as little training for our, the little soldiers that are in our bodies. They're just constantly looking out for us 24 seven. And so getting that exercise with our bodies just helps them to be stronger and to better detect any kind of invaders that come into our systems. And then last but not least, structural integrity. Um, So I know there's a big um, kind of influx of longevity talk in, you know, the functional medicine realm right now. And rightly so, because we want to make sure that we're optimizing our health as we age so that we're not just kind of steadily deteriorating as we get older. And muscle is one of the most important things to focus on in terms of longevity. We want to prevent any kind of frailty because we tend to see older people, they fall more often. They have more, you know, um, hip fractures or bone breaks. And so if we're focusing on maintaining um, or even increasing that muscle mass, we're going to see better outcomes in terms of their um, their bone density, um, hopefully preventing that osteopenia and um, an osteoporosis that so often occurs in in the aging population. So exercise is just incredible. It really does impact every single organ and every single system within the body. So it's a powerful, um, modifiable lifestyle factor.
0: Sam, I am convinced. That was such a well-rounded, beautiful answer. I mean, I think intuitively we know exercise is important, but the way that you just made this connection with every single body system, there's so much to chew on here. And the first thing I'll say is this is a really powerful illustration that exercise is very important for fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, but it really rolled into every other body system in terms of how we can prevent chronic disease later in life. I keep making that point over and over again, because this is really about fertility and beyond. So thank you. That was beautiful. You. I, I just want to go back because you mentioned the impact on the transport system or the cardiometabolic function. And I've shared this before, but I personally had gestational hypertension with my second pregnancy and I was doing all of the other things. You know, I have a nutrition degree. I know how to eat healthy. I'm a daily meditator. My relationships are very strong and solid, but I was in medical school and I had a preceptorship and an internship and I just wasn't exercising like at all all, leading into that pregnancy. And that is something that I always think back on and wish that I had modified that certain behavior heading into that pregnancy, because now that I have this regular routine, my blood pressure is so healthy. So I think that I just don't want to underestimate how impactful
1: exercise can be. Absolutely. And I think. A big part of that, too, and I know I've been there where I have this all or nothing thinking, right, where I'm either going to do super high intensity, you know, sweating intensely for two hours at the gym or it's nothing at all. And one of my biggest goals is to make sure that exercise is approachable and achievable for everybody. And even if you split your workout into instead of one 30 minute session per day doing three 10 minute sessions, Some studies are actually finding that that may be more beneficial in terms of our metabolic health and all of the benefits that I mentioned previously. Um, So if we can find ways to work it into our daily life, I think that's where we're going to see the most benefit and we're going to feel successful because ultimately, if we're not able to maintain it, what's the point, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I am really into this, this concept of the hot mom walk. And just going on, you know, shorter walks throughout your day, that's something that's so approachable and realistic. And also I think there's such benefit of getting outside and putting your feet on the ground and breathing fresh air and getting sunlight and all of that good stuff. 100%.
1: If you are able to exercise outside, the benefits are twofold. You're going to get that vitamin D. You're going to breathe in that fresh air. You know, we were meant to move and we were meant to be outside. Um, You know, we talk, I know at IFM, we talk about um, forest bathing and just, what an an incredible effect it has on our blood pressure, on our cardiovascular health, on stress relief, um, because our bodies crave nature, really. And so if you can get exercise in while you're outside, it's just a win-win situation.
0: Now we're stacking our modifiable lifestyle factors, which is so efficient. How very efficient of us. Exactly. Sam, I have to go back to the mitochondria because you know, mitochondria, I just love them so much. And this is so cool because we always talk about mitochondria being the the powerhouse of our cell and generating this energetic currency. And I describe ovulation, fertilization, implantation as being energetically expensive. So we really need that energetic currency to pay for those processes. And we talk all the time about having adequate antioxidants and even cold exposure, but exercise is so helpful for our mitochondria, like you said, and it's right there. And please I correct me if I'm not understanding this, but it seems like just pretty moderate intensity exercise. It doesn't have to be all out high intensity interval training to get the benefit to our mitochondria.
1: 100%. So there is, um, you know, the idea that HIT training, high intensity interval training is great for our mitochondria, but not everyone is there yet in terms of their level of fitness. That can be very high intensity. It can be very high impact. And so I like to make sure that I'm meeting, you know, the client or the patient where they are and making sure that they can get what they need. So I always like to say, it's never too late to start and a little bit is better than nothing, right? So again, you don't have to go all out for two hours to see the benefits. Walking, for an, ex- an example, so many people underestimate the power of walking, but even just one bout of walking can, you know, improve brain health in terms of increasing your brain-derived neurotrophic uh, factor, which helps to prevent those neurodegenerative diseases as we age. Um, and so we tend to underestimate that lower intensity level of exercise, but it is so incredibly valuable and it is definitely better than than doing nothing.
0: Yeah. Uh- This is perfectly related to my next question because I did a little, I did a little Q&A on my Instagram and I asked everybody who's following that account, um, what questions do you have about modifiable lifestyle factors for fertility and exercise of course came up and someone said during preconception and early pregnancy, what are some healthy exercise or mindful movements that I should focus on incorporating into my daily routine. And I think we've kind of touched on this. There's so many things that we can do that are really approachable, but maybe you can give us some insight into the daily habits that'll be most helpful for us.
1: Absolutely. So again, walking is usually my first recommendation, right? Because for most people, it's very easily accessible. It's free. You don't have to buy a gym membership to go for a walk. Um, And again, you're going to get outside, which just gives you double the benefits, right? And light walking is really, it's safe for every stage of, you know, preconception through pregnancy and even postpartum as well. Um, So it's just something that you can take with you throughout that entire process of your fertility and conception. Um, I also like to talk about matching our movement to our cycle. So the different phases of our cycle, it's just, I think it's so important to honor those hormone fluctuations and not push our bodies when they're not equipped to be pushed. So for example, during that menstrual phase, you know, when you're bleeding, likely you're going to feel depleted, you're going to feel exhausted. And so I like to recommend focusing on some restorative, um, you know, light stretching, maybe some mobility, light walking again, um, and maybe even um, some gentle yoga, things like that can be a great way to keep yourself moving, but you're not, again, pushing yourself past your, your capacity or your limits at that point in your cycle. As we move into the follicular phase, you can up the intensity a little bit. Your your hormones are still kind of recouping. Um, And so you can include maybe some hiking, some some more moderate intensity walks, maybe even some light jogging or running. Um, And then maybe a more flow based yoga. So it's a little bit more, um, a little more, moves a little bit more quickly. So it gets a little bit of a sweat going. Ovulation is peak time, so you're going to feel more confident, you're going to feel stronger, you're going to have a little bit more stamina and endurance. Um, So this is going to be a great time to incorporate that high intensity interval training to go and do some higher intensity cardiovascular workouts like spin classes. Um, And then a lot, I can't tell you how many women have told me, hey, I hit my weight, you know, a personal record. While I was ovulating, you know, so we just have that, that peak in terms of our hormones. So that's the time to really up the intensity because you're going to feel like you can meet, uh, meet that intensity and meet those demands with your body. And then last but not least, luteal phase, as your body kind of prepares to go into your next cycle, you can stick with the light to moderate intensity. So this is a great time to do Zumba and Pilates, um, maybe higher intensity yoga, again, keeping that flow and a little bit of that sweat going, um, and then maintaining that resistance training as well, Um, you know, continuing to maintain and build that muscle. So I think there's a lot to be said about honoring our cycles and making sure that we're listening to our bodies and matching our movement to what our body is asking of us.
0: Sam, thank you so much for saying that. I wish that someone would have told me that 20 years ago. I know. I think I spent years having no idea that that was a thing and expecting my exercise and my stamina and my endurance to be the same every day. And just like you said before, this mindset piece of being like, if I'm not drenched with sweat at the gym, then why bother? But some days it just wasn't happening. And it makes so much sense to me now, but I think I would have had such grace and uh,
1: love for myself if I would have known exactly what you just said. Right. Because how many times do we kind of force ourselves to just push through and keep going? But then, you know, there's a problem there. We get injured or we get sick. You know, it's we're going to i'm sure we're going to talk more about this but exercise is very much a continuum and we have to honor where our body is you know there's some days where i might choose to sleep in instead of taking a morning pilates class because my body needs to sleep you know it's so it's tapping into that ancient wisdom that our body has and really honoring that and and taking its advice because it knows what's best for us we just have to listen to it
0: yeah. So, so, so important. And I, I got stuck in this story that I was telling myself because I was pushing it. I, I was saying, I don't like exercise. I'm not a, I'm not an exercise person. And that right. wasn't necessarily true. I just wasn't doing
1: the thing that felt right for my body at that time. Exactly. So of course you're not going to feel successful and it's not going to be enjoyable if you're pushing yourself past your limits, you know? Um, something I also like to talk about is, is timing and of course, nutrition alongside our workout. So, so many women, um, I think there's a little bit of a shift happening, which is great, but so many women that I've known will work out first thing in the morning fasted, you know, they've got nothing in yeah. their stomach, maybe just some coffee, which can put us into that fight or flight mode. Right. And if we're thinking about fertility and conception, we want to tap into that parasympathetic nervous system where we feel safe in our bodies, not in this constant state of fight or flight. So we know that if, if many women work out fasted, we're going to increase cortisol, which then is going to impact the production of those sex hormones. And this is where we see so many women lose their cycle completely, right? Which is a really good sign that we're pushing the body way too hard. And we're in we're tapping into the wrong side of the nervous system, right? So I always tell women, I'm like, if you can have something in your stomach even before you drink your coffee, just to prevent that that excess spike in your cortisol, especially first thing in the morning, um, your body's going to respond much better.
0: Hmm, you read my mind. You knew where I was intuitively going next because this common theme that I hear is, "Well, exercise is my stress relief," and I think so many of us can relate to that. But sometimes under the circumstances like you just described, where you're maybe exercising fasted or exercising at a level of intensity that is too much for your body at maybe a point during your cycle, it becomes a perceived stressor. And then going to that sense of safety in your nervous system now, we're having some trouble. So my question to you is, and this came up also on my Q and A that I did, how does someone know if they are maybe over-exercising for their
1: body's needs? Absolutely. So your body is, I always like to say your body will whisper before it screams, right? So they might first experience what you were just saying you were experiencing where you're, you're not achieving what you want to achieve in your workout, right? You're, you're trying to push yourself, but it's just not happening. Your body's kind of fighting back. And that's a good indication that you might be overly ambitious for that particular workout, because it could be that point in your cycle Where it's just not there, right? So that might be kind of the first sign where you're like, man, I feel really fatigued and I'm not able to get through my workout the way that that I would like to. Um, So that can be a sign that you might need to adjust either the type of workout you're doing, how long it is, how often you're doing it. There's so many different ways to kind of tweak those things to work for you. When you get into kind of true overtraining, um, you're going to see things like changes in your mood. So you might feel more depressed. You're going to feel less motivated. Uh, you might be agitated and just not wanting to get up and move because your body is experiencing basically burnout, right? Because you've pushed it too hard for too long. Um, of course, some soreness is normal after, you know, especially if you're doing resistance training. But if you're so sore the next day to the point where it's interfering with your daily life, if you're not able to even take a walk because you're so sore, that can be a good indication you went a little too hard or a little too heavy in that workout. Um, Again, as I mentioned before, a lot of women will have a loss of libido or they'll have a loss of their menstrual cycle where that's a good indication we're too much into that cortisol and it's taking away from that sex hormone production. Um, And we certainly don't want to lose our cycle altogether if we're thinking about conceiving, right? So um, shifting back to to honoring that menstrual cycle and not pushing ourselves too hard when it's just not there. Um, And then of course, you know, if you have a compromised immune system, so we talked about the benefits of exercise to the immune system, but it's dose dependent, right? What is the saying? Uh, The difference between a remedy and a poison is dose. Exercise is no exception to that rule. So A little bit of exercise is fantastic for our immune system in the right dose. But if we're over training, over exercising, then we're likely going to have some impairment in our immune system. And you might notice that you're getting sick more often than you usually are. Good indication that you need recovery and you need rest. So those are some really good signs that you might be pushing your body a little bit too far past its limits.
0: That is so helpful. And thank you for always orienting us towards how this impacts fertility and pregnancy, because I think that we don't, we don't talk about that very often, our exercise habits in relation to our fertility, but I'll give you a common scenario that we're wanting to get pregnant. So we're so mindful of our dietary intake. We're focusing on all the right foods. We're eating lots of produce. Um, and, we're doing our exercise. And so sometimes I see that we get into this energy imbalance where we're actually exercising a little bit too much based on just our caloric intake of these really healthy foods. And so yeah. our body is kind of sensing this scarcity and that can really impact, as you described, our menstrual cycle. And so sometimes it's just tweaking our energy intake
1: and bringing in some more healthy calories, right? 100%, yes. So we know, especially you know, in the first trimester, they say there's not really a need for excess calories just for pregnancy alone, but you know, that can be such a time of, you know, morning sickness and loss of appetite and just Mm -hmm. not feeling well. And so the primary concern there before we even look at exercise is just making sure is mama eating enough to just sustain herself and this, this new life that she's building. Right. Um, As we move further, you know, into pregnancy toward, you know, especially the third trimester, for just pregnancy alone without the activity factor there, we want to make sure that um, a woman is eating about 450 extra calories per day. Um, And then we do wanna make sure that we adjust that, again, depending on the person, how active they are, just making sure that we're not in any kind of caloric deficit. This is not the time for a caloric deficit, obviously. So um, just making sure that we are being mindful of that. And I just always encourage, you know, encourage, listen to your hunger cues. As you're more active, your metabolism is going to speed up a little bit and you're likely going to be more hungry. So honor that, you know, don't, don't deprive yourself. Don't deprive yourself ever, but especially if you are looking to conceive or if you're already pregnant, you have to make sure that body is fueled.
0: Yeah. The midwife who delivered my first daughter said, we really have to start from a place of fullness. And there's this whole mantra about I have enough to give to another. Right. Right? So I think that applies in so many areas, but energy is certainly one of them.
1: Right. And it's making sure again, that you feel, you feel safe in your body and your body knows, okay, now I can prioritize fertility and reproduction, right? Because if it doesn't have enough energy to maintain digestion or the other things that just keep us alive on a daily basis, as I mentioned before, these other things are going to go to the back burner. Right. Well,
0: Sam, I know that when I
1: was pregnant,
0: I was really motivated to do whatever I needed to do to make labor more easy, more smooth. I was looking ahead at that event and just whatever I could do. Do you have some recommendations for us on what types of exercise or movement that we might do to help
1: us get ready for the marathon that is childbirth? It's incredible. Yes, absolutely. So as I keep saying, walking. So Studies have shown that any kind of physical activity throughout pregnancy, as long as it's consistent and regular, and again, we're not pushing past that that capacity, um, can help to make labor, quote unquote, easier. I don't think there's any such thing as easy labor per (laughs) se, right? You're still giving birth to a human. Um, But I really like to encourage um, those deep core stabilizers and tapping into our connection with our pelvic floor, especially. So Pilates is a really great way to do this. And I can't tell you how many times I've been teaching a Pilates class. I'm cueing the breath, which is also so important during labor, right? Um, And I say, you know, pull up on your pelvic floor and the looks that I get, like, what is that? What is my pelvic floor? How do I feel that? I've never felt it before. Um, So when we think of our core, we think we think of our you know our six pack muscle right we tend to think of that rectus abdominis which is important you know we want that to be strong but going even deeper we have the transversus abdominis and then we have along the back the multifidi which are muscles that kind of run along the spine and then we also have our diaphragm and our pelvic floor so you want to think of this as a canister that kind of moves together. So as we inhale and our lungs expand, the diaphragm presses down, the pelvic floor presses down. Similarly, when we exhale, the lungs empty, the diaphragm comes back up under the rib cage and the pelvic floor pulls up. So this is why the pelvic floor is so responsive to the breath because it follows the movement of the diaphragm. And so if we can strengthen the pelvic floor, not only is that going to help during labor in terms of pushing the baby out, but it's also going to help postpartum because so many women that I've worked with who are mamas have urinary incontinence after giving birth, right? It's common, but it's not normal. And it's totally fixable um, with time and you know, effort, of course. Um, so that's, I really like to, again, set women up for success in terms of just having that mind-body connection with their core and their pelvic floor. To have those better outcomes during labor and beyond.
0: Mm, how much you want to bet? Everyone who just listened is like contracting their pelvic floor muscles right now, <laughs> just <laughs> getting a feel for it. Yes, that's absolutely. super helpful, Sam. You talked about Pilates, and I I love Pilates, but this is something that comes up. Do we have to have a fancy reformer and do all these things, or can we just do Pilates with our Peloton app at our house? There's, can you talk us through? Is that still beneficial?
1: No, and thank you for bringing that up. Because again, one of, one of my biggest goals is to make fitness accessible. Right. And, you know, a lot of times based on price, you know, Pilates is not cheap. Um, especially if you have like private sessions and things like that. So we want to make sure that this is accessible for everybody. And you definitely don't have to have any fancy equipment at home. You don't have to have a reformer by any means. You can just lay on, you know, if you have a yoga mat at home, you can certainly YouTube. Um, There's tons of videos out there that talk about pelvic floor activation, deep core stabilizer activation. Um, And then using that you know, once you have that foundation to incorporate that into those Pilates movements and kind of increasing your load as you progress and things like that. So you definitely don't need to have, you know, a super fancy uh, membership or equipment to, to start working on these things at home.
0: Yeah. Well, after, after I had, my first daughter, I had such tailbone pain because my hips just weren't very strong. And looking back, I think Pilates would have helped me
1: so much to prevent that strain and pain on my low back. It's it's incredible. Just for most people, it's a new way of moving, myself included, when I started getting really serious with the practice, because it is focusing on those little muscles that we tend to forget about. And the connection with the breath is also just so, so huge and so vital Um, And you, you just see different results, you know, you, you see decreased inflammation and your body just starts to transform. It's pretty incredible.
0: I can see how even just the connection to the breath would be helpful for labor, you know, even
1: aside from all of the other benefits, that's such a major skill. Right. Because again, how many of us, myself included, tend to be mouth breathers and then we're increasing again, cortisol, and we're in that fight or flight mode. Um, so if we can tap into the breath and breathe properly, it's just going to help tap into that parasympathetic nervous system, reduce that inflammation. Um, and I just feel like it really connects us to our bodies too. We're more in tune with our bodies. When we tune into the breath, we can really be more present.
0: Absolutely. As we're talking about exercise during pregnancy, another question came in from a functional fertility listener, and I think it's a good one. They asked how much lower pelvic pressure is okay or normal after workouts during pregnancy? I definitely experienced this too. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one.
1: Yes, absolutely. So a little bit is normal. It is perfectly normal, very common, especially just as all of your muscles are kind of stretched. Everything becomes hypermobile during pregnancy, right, to allow for that movement of the baby through the birth canal. Um, So a little bit is normal. Now, when I say a little bit, that might be subjective, you know, depending upon the person. But you want to make sure that it does resolve within about 30 minutes to an hour post-exercise. Um, A red flag might be if it continues to worsen throughout the day after you've done your workout, whether it's a walk or anything else. Um, If there is bleeding that accompanies that, any kind of GI upset like diarrhea, vomiting, nausea, things like that, those symptoms accompanying that pelvic pressure um, or even that pelvic cramping, those can be red flags that you probably need to stop what you're doing and and consult with your doctor or go see your doctor just to make sure everything is, is good with baby.
0: That's really comforting because I think, especially as baby gets bigger, it's so hard to remain active and not have a little bit of that pressure. Absolutely. So knowing that we can expect a little, it should resolve
1: quickly. That is so reassuring. Yes. And especially too, something that we think about, I know in Pilates and in, you know, the um, pre and postnatal fitness coach realm is making sure that we're not inducing too much intra-abdominal pressure during the workouts. So let's say you're in a a Pilates class and we want you to do a plank. We might steer away from that with a pregnant person, especially um, if they're at 20 weeks or beyond. Um, That's when we really want to be mindful of that intra-abdominal pressure. So instead, we might modify that to a quadruped position where you're on your hands and your knees. You can do a little bit of bird dog where you're extending one arm in front and the opposite leg in the back. So you're still tapping into those deep core stabilizers and you're still getting that essential, uh, you know, the essence of the plank exercise, but it's going to be much less intra-abdominal pressure, which can then often lead to some of that pelvic pressure and cramping. So um, making sure that we have those modifications handy if that is something that our client is, is experiencing
0: you just made me kind of think maybe even just an important takeaway from our talk today is just letting people know that pre and postnatal fitness coaches exist to help you make these modifications and help you do your fitness routine safely and effectively. I mean, that I I'm learning about that right now, just how important
1: it is to kind of be specific and precise. Absolutely. And I cannot tell you, as I was going through my certification program, how many times they they emphasize the importance of, of networking, right? We talk so much in functional medicine about um, the patient really feeling like they have a team of people rooting them on and and finding the root cause of things for them. Right. And this is no different. So they really encouraged, you know, if you are a pre and postnatal coach network with um, you know, physical therapists who specialize in pelvic health, right? Because so many women don't even tap into that, you know, they don't even go to that physical therapy um, to help with their, you know, urinary incontinence and things like that after giving birth. So um, it's nice to kind of have that, that team behind you that can consult and modify things as needed. Cause obviously it's outside of our scope as coaches to diagnose, Um, But we can certainly work together with, uh, you know, a pelvic health physical therapist to make sure that you have the best outcomes possible.
0: The collaborative care team, the dream team. Amen to that. (laughs) Yes. You mentioned pelvic health. So now I'm going to transition us into the postpartum era where our pelvic health becomes somewhat of a a thing that we want to pay attention to. I can definitely relate to that. After babies here, I think we all reconnect to movement at our own pace. It looks different for all of us. But one question I received from another functional fertility listener is, is there some recommended cadence or exercise progression that you might recommend postpartum? Do we need to move, you know, maybe we do breathing exercises and that moves to walking
1: and then light weights or just would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. And that was, that was a a fantastic summary. So it sounds like this listener already knows a little bit of that progression. Um, but I like to kind of split it into three phases. So we know that, um, that first phase, the first six weeks after giving birth, lots of healing going on, lots of rest, lots of recovery, hopefully, um, can only get so much rest with the newborn, right. But, um, that's what we want to focus on in terms of kind of starting to heal the body. So that first six weeks, if you are kind of starting to, to meet up with your trainer again and getting back into some very, very light exercise. We want to reestablish those breathing patterns, right? We want to reconnect with the core and the pelvic floor because those muscles have been compromised during that, that that birthing process, right? So kind of reestablishing that connection with the core and the pelvic floor and then looking to, um, work on stretching, mobility, and postural alignment. So as you mentioned, a lot of times, of course, the body has to shift to accommodate your growing belly, right? Um, and so a lot of women will develop that anterior pelvic tilt where the front of the pelvis tilts forward. Um, you have really tight hip flexors, and then you'll see an, kind of an overarching in the back, that lordotic posture. And so once they've given birth, then it's kind of time to, okay, let's work on some very light pelvic tilts, just start to get that body back into that proper postural alignment before we even think about doing anything else. So that's phase one, usually within those first six weeks. And then phase two, which is about seven to 18 weeks or so, again, it's gonna vary depending upon the person. This is continuing what we've established in phase one. Hopefully we have a nice strong foundation, reestablishing the breathing and the core and the pelvic floor connection, and then adding in some of those very light, lightly loaded. And when I say lightly loaded, I mean like body weight. Um, So making sure that we can move functionally, not loaded, and still incorporate that foundation that we have established in phase one. At this point, you can kind of include that light walking up to about 45 minutes a day or so. Again, different mamas are going to have different capacities for walking. Some might try for 15 minutes and they're like, that's all I got today, which is perfectly fine. So um, you can kind of work up to walking for 45 minutes or so. And then just very, very light um, body weight or strength training included. And then, of course, Phase three, it's technically 19 to 42 weeks, but I feel like once postpartum, always postpartum, right? It's not just this finite phase in a woman's life. So um, I think it's so important to just make sure that these things are all continued because it it takes a person's body to, you know, one to two years to really fully recover. giving birth and from pregnancy so making sure that this is not just something we're employing in the short term for a certain amount of weeks but this is something you can take with you for the rest of your life so in phase three again we're continuing that work that we've done in phase one and two we've got the really strong foundation we're tapped back into our bodies we're we're knowing where our limits are. And that's when we can add that increased strength. So we can start to load back up in terms of the resistance training. We can walk a little bit more. Um, we can include more moderate intensity cardio, and then eventually working back up to, you know, your pre-pregnancy or even your during pregnancy um, activities, like if you were doing HIT and things like that. So it's a very, very gradual um, progression, because again, we don't want to push the body past its limits. There's just so much healing um, and shifting that's happening during that postpartum period that we want to make sure that we're we're honoring that and paying attention to that.
0: Wow, Sam, that was a beautiful approach, and I think just really realistic. You mentioned the collaborative care team, and I, as you were talking about the pelvic tilt, it reminded me how my chiropractor helped me so much with my with my tilting that I was doing. And I think had I, had I been combining that with exercise, it would have been really helpful.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And again, it's great to work with a, a pelvic health physical therapist. And then the beauty of it is a lot of times they'll give you homework, right? And that can be something that you also work with, you know, if you do have a trainer who specializes in pre and postnatal fitness, um, you can make sure you're doing your homework at home. And a lot of times that will kind of, um, somewhat speed up that recovery process or the time that it takes you to recover. You also mentioned using
0: some light weights, maybe even body weight. And it made me think when I first started going on longer walks with, with my babies, having them in the carrier and having their body weight, you know, be 20 pounds of extra that even felt like it was
1: enough. Absolutely. And it makes me think of um, when everything shut down during COVID, right? I switched to online uh, like Zumba classes and fitness classes. And so if we were doing something that was weight bearing, I was like, grab some cans of beans from your pantry, grab your child, grab your dog, you know, whatever is handy um, to give you that resistance. And and body weight is perfect in itself too. But, um, you know, there's so many things that you can use at home. Like, again, you don't have to have a fancy gym membership or or anything like that to, to see these benefits. Who needs weights when you have a car seat? I mean, that thing is enough. (laughs) I always say mommy muscles are a thing. They are no joke, lugging that thing around. And it's awkward too, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Sam, you talked a little bit about those
0: deep abdominal muscles. And so this is the perfect time for me to talk about diastasis recti, which is this separation in those large abdominal muscle groups. So many of us deal with this and wonder how can we safely return to exercise? Is this ever going to improve? Is there a certain type of trainer we should look for? Help, Help us
1: unpack this issue that we're all thinking about. Absolutely. So diastasis recti is a very, we talked about how, you know, urinary incontinence is common, but it's not normal. Diastasis recti is common and it is normal, right? Your body has to shift in order to accommodate the growing baby. So it's a very common, very normal, um, you know, side effect of growing a human. Now, it's interesting because the the school of thought used to be around making sure that we're closing that gap between the muscles, right? But now it's shifted a little bit um, to really focusing on increasing tension when you kind of poke between those muscles. So a good indication, and this is so important to know when to refer out, especially as a coach, right? If uh, if the gap is wider than two fingers, um, If it's deeper than one centimeter, and if when you kind of poke in, it's very squishy and there's not much tension there, kind of in that that lower abdominal layer, um, that's a good indication to refer somebody to a pelvic health uh, physical therapist, um, because that's gonna be a little bit more of a severe case. Um, That may just take a little bit more time, um, more intense um, work to, to come back together and to heal. However, if it's if it's less than two inches in in width, if it's less than a centimeter deep, and if you can feel some tension when you kind of poke into that that gap, then that can be addressed with a pre and postnatal coach. Um, So you do want to look for somebody who has at least some kind of training in pre and postnatal fitness or a certification. Um, And again, you can have that collaborative care team if you are already seeing a physical therapist. Your coach can just kind of help to continue that work. Um, so it's very similar to um, what we talked about in terms of those phases of, of postnatal fitness. Um, we want to make sure that we are helping to create tension within that gap. So we're going to start with some isolated core contractions, right? So you're not going to see much movement in the body. You're just going to focus on that mind core connection, those isolated contractions. Um, We're not going to add any kind of load, no weight bearing activities here. Um, And then you're also going to have very like controlled, slow movements matching that movement with the breath, because remember, everything kind of moves as a canister with that, um, with that core then once you have established some of those contractions and even, you know, some of those pelvic tilts, those pelvic floor contractions, then you can start to incorporate, again, what you've established in that first phase into some of your more functional movements. So if you're doing you know, very lightly loaded, um, like lat pull downs, for example, you can make sure you're pulling the belly button in towards the spine, keeping that tension in that core, um, and making sure you're staying connected to the breath the entire time. You don't want to hold your breath. I can't tell you how many people hold their breath while they're weightlifting. And that can really kind of increase that, that bulging, right. If you're not connecting with the breath properly. And then last but not least, once again, you have that foundation, you're kind of checking the tension, checking the gap every so often, you want to make sure you're assessing that as you progress your client, then you can move into more like, you know, more dynamic movements, um, higher loads, so increasing the weight, things like that. Um, And even some, you know, like ballistic or like, um, more like bouncing movements. Um, And again, that comes with Progression. You know, you want to make sure that you're establishing those foundations, reconnecting to that core, getting that tension in that um, transversus abdominis, and then kind of progressing from there.
0: I was just holding my breath as I was feeling my abdominals. And then you said everybody holds their breath. And I was like, oh, guilty. Okay. It's so
1: common. It's so common. Most of us are not breathing properly, myself included. It's something I still have to try and, you know, remind myself and tap into. Well, Sam,
0: I feel like we could talk for a thousand years. I want to, I want to talk for multiple days on this topic with you, but since that's not possible, I want to ask you a few fun questions before we close our time together. So I know that you are an excellent playlist curator and I know this because you just recently hosted a Zumba class for a group of our colleagues and the playlist was absolute fire. So I know this is a strength that you have. So my question to you is, what is the most
1: played song on your workout playlist? This was a hard one. I have to, I had to think (laughs) about this because there's just so many, right? And it depends on what kind of workout I'm doing because a lot of times if it's like, if I'm going into a high intensity or like um, strength training, I'm going to have Beyonce on my playlist, right? Like who run the world? Girls, right? It just pumps me up. I'm like ready to take on the world, you know? Um, And then of course, if it's like, anything Zumba related, so any Latin world rhythms, it's just, they're so uplifting and they're so happy and it can just shift my mood in a heartbeat, you know? And I think that's really the key is just finding that, you know, we're not always going to feel motivated, um, but making sure that you find something that, that keeps it fun, right? Because you're not going to keep coming back if you're miserable, right? And so I think music can really set the stage for, A really positive workout session. So find ways to make it fun and you're going to be more likely to stick with it.
0: I love it. We, you shared with me right when we logged on to do this episode that you had listened to some Zumba music as you got ready to record and look how fun this has been. So that was evidence. Everybody go get your playlist on my next question to you, because I know you love food just as much as you love movement. What is your favorite post-exercise snack?
1: You know, I love a post-workout smoothie, especially heat, you know here in Virginia. It's starting to get warmer, and so I feel like I crave that cooling, you know, smoothies much more often. So after a workout, I will often make a smoothie with some um, some frozen mixed berries either almond milk or oat milk, you know, milk of your choice. And then I'll add in some protein powder, especially if I've just um, lifted, you know, cause we're, we're tearing down the muscles and then we want to make sure that we're getting that protein to, to heal those muscle tears so that our muscles come back better and stronger. Um, and then I'll add in, you know, maybe some seeds like chia seeds or, or ground flax seeds, um, and then I'll sweeten it with maybe either like maple syrup or a little bit of like local honey, especially around like allergy season, that local honey is key. Um, yeah. So just, it's just a great way to incorporate a bunch of different nutrients at once, right? You can just throw some greens in there. You can throw a little bit of avocado in there, which I love how, uh, avocado makes the texture of my smoothies. It's yes. just a little creamier. Um, and then avocado is a great source of potassium as well. So if you were just sweating a lot in your workout, um, you know, restoring those electrolytes is super important. So um just throwing in as many superfoods as you can, blending it up and enjoying it. So mm, you mentioned chia seeds. I'm president of the chia
0: seed fan club. You on your Instagram recently just posted a chia pudding recipe. So everybody go check that out because it is so delicious. I love chia pudding, it's so good. Oh, Sam, thank you so much for being with us today. You've shared so many just really approachable insights. And I just so appreciate your time. It's always
1: fun to chat with you. This was such a treat. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Such a joy to our listeners. Thank you so much for choosing to spend time with us and to my amazing producer, Paola Martini. Just much love to this whole group. We'll see you later, everyone. Did you love this episode and want to hear more? Head over to drkaliawattlescom slash podcast, where you can find more episodes on all things fertility.